grateful. This week I was given um, a card by one of our members, and he said, uh, why don't you talk about what we believe? <laughs> He's been listening to it on the radio, and these radio preachers, they're, they're talking about what they believe. Well, you've got it, what we believe, and there will be a series of, of things uh, of what we believe. So why believe? Why do we believe in God? Well, God knows everything we are going through, and um, at this, I have to read this continually, I'm sorry. God knows everything we are going through at this very moment and everything we will go through in the future. He knows the best way to handle every situation so we get the best possible outcome. And we need to trust him with that. We need to follow his path and trust that he knows best because he does. So as we look at our faith and what we believe, there are a number of things that I have at the beginning of this, and um, for whatever reason, I'm going to skip over them for uh, lack of um, time. I'm, I'm, I know that I'm going to spend a lot of time on these things, so we'll just see if I can crunch it in, out and get it in uh, our, our first section here in, the, in, the, in 30 minutes. So, so what do we believe? Well, for the Assemblies of God, which we just heard about our Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, um, we are the, the top mission, is mission organization in the world. No one uh, gives more money to missions and taking care of um, missionaries and support around the world than the Assemblies of God. We are maybe not that well known in the United States, but around the world we are a very well-known organization. So the four doctrinal, well, there are a number of doctrinal things, but the four uh, that are considered our core beliefs are salvation, baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, divine healing and the second coming of Christ. So these are our core beliefs. These are the things that, you know, be, are, are part of the foundation of our, um, of our belief system. The Assemblies of God officially is called the World Assemblies of God Fellowship, and there are over 144 autonomous, self-governing um, groups, meaning that um, uh, back whenever Iraq and Iran and the war and so on, the Assemblies of God there, they, the head of the Assemblies of God during that time period, uh, his life expectancy was less than six weeks. <laughs> and because of their, you know, hatred of, of Christians and, and so on, uh, so there were a number of people who were who volunteered and wanted to be the next leader of the Assemblies of God in that region. And so all over the world, there are 144 autonomous, just like our church is autonomous, meaning that we are a self-governing church. No one from the denomination owns the building. <laughs> we own the building. We take care of the building. We run the organization. We have membership. We don't pay uh, dues to, uh, to the Assemblies of God. In reality, the Assemblies of God, and I'm not going to spend the whole 30 minutes on this, but the, the Assemblies of God is a fellowship of, mem of, of uh, ministers and affiliated churches. So the Assemblies of God technically is just a, a you know, it's like placement of ministers around the United States and in the different states, but the churches select to be affiliated with the Assemblies. 
So this church has chosen to be part of the assemblies. Now, we can vote ourselves out of the assemblies and not have to pay <laughs> dues. There was, um, some of the uh, other churches of different denominations uh, have not liked the direction that the denomination is going, and they have decided to leave that denomination, but the denomination has said, you owe us $250,000 to get out of <laughs> our organization to buy for the building and things like that. So we don't have that. We are an autonomous, and should I not be pastor, you would call someone, and uh, they would send a group of um, resumes and the board would be able to go over them and select so there's no appointment of a pastor you just try and get rid of me let's talk about appointment <laughs> yeah right so uh, but anyhow <laughs> but we find that it is an appointment so we are an autonomous self-governing that we are financially responsible to take care of our facility and um, you know pay for the pay the bills there's no one to call on to pay the bills so there are over 144 groups, you know, like the, the World Assemblies of God. There is the Assemblies of God of the United States. There's the Assemblies of God of Canada. There's the Assemblies of God of Iraq. There's the Assemblies, you know, so in all those countries, we have, they have leadership. Um, it is the world's largest Pentecostal denomination. It started in 1914 with 127 members. 1914, it had 127 members, and now we have over 67 million. <laughs> We're the largest Pentecostal assembly, Pentecostal denomination in the world. So that's a little bit of the background, what we believe, and why we look at Assemblies of God. Now, somebody asked me, um, why are you Assemblies? Well, I grew up <laughs> in the Assemblies of God church. My my grandmother was a, a Pentecostal preacher at some point. She filled in. My parents were the founda founding members of the Assemblies of God Church in Indiana. So, you know, I've been, just been here all my life. So anyhow, that's how it goes. Uh, the primary focus. So as we look at the primary focus, what is salvation? John chapter 3. So um, what is the focus of what we believe, the core belief. If you don't know Jesus, you can't understand the book. <laughs> if you don't know who Jesus is, trying to explain doctrines and, and things like that mean nothing. So we start with, I start with John chapter 3. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I have spent whole hours on this one chapter, but I'm not intending to do that today, just kind of hit some highlights. But John chapter 3, this is, a, this is an interaction with Jesus and uh, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. So, John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus is uh, an individual of, of the Sanhedrin, of the ruling class. They, you know, the, the um, Supreme Court of the Jewish people, Nicodemus was that, he was in that group. But he came to Jesus at night because he didn't want anybody else to know that he was interested in him. Verse 3. 
Jesus replied, Verily, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So this is where we, you know, people say, what does that mean being born again or salvation or things like that? Born again is basically born from above. The need for salvation, a spiritual transformation. There has to be a spiritual transformation. And it is a uh, regeneration. It is that which the Holy Spirit produces in us. It is not something that we get by joining the church. It is not something that we get by baptism or by confirmation. It is that which we receive because of our confession in Christ. And this is where we, we set the foundation for this uh, belief system. And, there, and we'll talk about some other scriptures that hit on this. Uh, and so Nicodemus, as with many people, when you present this, he says in verse 4, How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So it sounds like a very confusing idea. You must be born again. Now, what's that mean? <laughs> How do you get born again, you know? Well, we find that Jesus, verse 5 answered, he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. There's a couple of different understandings of water. One is, um, I remember a study years ago I did, in the sense that born, a woman, born, a baby, born, you know, water breaks, born. <laughs> so there is that type of born of the water. But the other one is perhaps more important. It, water symbolizes cleansing, um, renewal, a spiritual cleansing, a spiritual um, washing of the water of the word. So no one can be, unless he be born of water and of the spirit. So it is a, as it were, a washing by the water. It is a spiritual washing of the soul that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. So being the, the time of the year, approaching Easter, Jesus dies on the cross. His blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins. So the spiritual washing of our soul is by the blood of Jesus Christ when we confess our sins. He forgives us. Now, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus has a great ability to help us understand. He takes something that we know and applies it to something that we don't know. So whenever we're talking about born of the flesh, we, we know it's a spiritual. I mean, we know that it's a physical birth. When it is born of the spirit, it is a spiritual birth. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So as the wind cannot be understood, and, uh, and we would say, well, we can, we can pretty much guess, and we can guess, and we watch the weatherman to get the best guess of what the weather's going to be, <laughs> of what the weather patterns are, and snow's coming, it's not coming, and it doesn't come, and we move on to the next thing. Why? Because the wind is unpredictable. Well, the, the Holy Spirit, you, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit's, I'm safe in the arms of my Father, song that we just sang, it's the understanding that God holds us and that he is with us in every situation. And it is the Holy Spirit that helps us be aware that the Spirit of God is there with us. Verily, truly, I tell you, 
We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? So this is the ongoing message that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Belief is part of this whole scenario. If we don't believe, we don't confess. We don't confess unless we believe. Now, the Bible also says, if any of you lack faith, let him ask of God. So it's like, God, I don't understand, but I ask you for the ability, the help in my unbelief. Help thou my unbelief. So we have this belief, this request. Do you have enough faith to ask? And so in the asking, we are opening our hearts to God, and the Holy Spirit makes that real to us. So the important thing, I I think, here is John, mostly we can quote that, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay? So if we believe in Christ, he gives to us this salvation, we have everlasting life. But then we often don't quote verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. The purpose of Christ's coming was not condemnation, but the world through him might be saved. Salvation. You see, that's why we, if we don't have this understanding of forgiveness and experiencing what Christ, he's he's risen from the dead, (laughs) you know, he is Lord, and he lives within our hearts and lives, the Holy Spirit is there, uh, to, to be with us. And so it's not, a, it's not about condemnation and guilt. God doesn't put us on guilt trips. He leads us into the kingdom of God. And we find in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we all start at the same place. <laughs> you know, we all start at the same level. We've all sinned. We also know the wages of sin is death. People earn the right to go to hell. The gift of God, ah, that's eternal life. So the gift of God is forgiveness. So without confession, there's no forgiveness. You know, you can sit in church, <laughs> listen to all the preachers, you know, sing all the songs, but never come to a point of confession and asking Christ to forgive us. So without confession, there is no forgiveness. If we confess, see, our sins... He forgives us. He's faithful and just and will forgive us. He's faithful and just. He's not manipulative and pushy. (laughs) He's faithful and just. 1 John 1, 7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Salvation. So that's the, the short of what we mean by uh, salvation, forgiveness, and, and giving our life to Christ. Why we call it born again, being saved. Without that, we don't have an understanding of all the other spiritual principles. So what do we believe? Well, we believe in the inspired and only infallible and authoritative word of God. <laughs> I left my Bible in there that our, the Bible is the author inspired, meaning divinely God-breathed book. And it is infallible. It is never failing. 
It is the authoritative word. It is able, the word of God is able to be trusted. So that's the skinny of the uh, statement of belief about the scriptures. The scripture is our foundational principle of what we believe. And if it's not in the book, then it should not be, it should not be a doctrine. It should not be a belief system. And you always use the Bible to interpret the Bible. If you find some of these denominations, I don't call just cults, I would call them, the, some of these cults take a scripture out of context and then build a religion around something that is the only spot in the Bible where it's located and they've just misinterpreted it. So you, you can't, if it's not found in other places in the scripture, then it's probably not something you would build a doctrine on. It's like Jesus, the Lamb of God. You go to the Old Testament, what do you see? The sacrificial system. You see the priests. You see them offering the sacrifice of the Lamb, people putting their hands on the Lamb and, and slaying the Lamb for the sins of the person. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We place our hand, as it were, on the Lamb. We give our faith over to, to Christ to forgive us of our sins. Um, Pilate, whenever he was speaking with Jesus, just prior to the crucifixion, he says, what is truth? <laughs> well, he was, he was one who was frustrated in and, and his search for truth, and he couldn't find it. So this perplexing question, if there is no authoritative guide to the knowledge about God, then Pilate was correct. But you see, there is an answer to what is truth. And you know, I... I don't know why, but I don't know. I believe it's God. That uh, there's so many people that I had association with at the hospital, and they would not believe the scriptures. They did not. They wanted to have their own way of belief. They believed in mysticism. They believed in energy fields. They believed in all these things, but they could not accept the scripture. They could not accept the word of God as a guideline for their life to follow and to find God. They, they felt that they had to find God in a different way than religion. We don't find God in religion. We find God through scripture and through faith and through understanding the scripture. And I know some of them have died. <laughs> and it's like, I wonder how they feel now and I wonder how their family feels knowing that they don't have any hope of ever seeing them again because they have nothing that lives on after the grave, after death. So, so there is no need then to grope or to worry. John 14, 16 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God would not leave us alone to try and find our own way to heaven. The truths that lead us to heaven must come down from heaven. <laughs> the truths that lead us to heaven must come down from heaven. If we believe there is to be a good God, it then is reasonable for us to expect that he would come to us and grant to us an understanding of what it is to find eternal life. Because the purpose of God is for, for us to walk with him to be his child, to be part of this relationship with him. And sin has caused that 
fragmentation. So it's reasonable for us to believe that God would provide some way for us to find our way to him. He created us. That brings us to the book, the holy book, the holy scriptures, the Bible. Truths that could never be discovered by human reasoning have come to us by God and by the Holy Spirit. God in his divine providence has preserved a document and that document we call the Bible. And we turn to this document, we read it, we hear it read, we hear it sung. John 1, 1. This is the foundational principle. I, I like um, one translation that says, before the beginning began, God is, or God was. So, we, I, you know, I know I've done this before, but time is in creation. And the end of time is at whenever the, uh, God creates a new heavens and a new earth. So sandwiched between eternity past and eternity future is time. And that's where we're at. And the Bible tells us before time began, God is. Jesus was. And it was determined before time began that Jesus would be the sacrifice for our sins. He knew we would fail. But even though the penalty of sin is separation from God, God knew that he would pay the penalty for our sins to keep us in communion with him. So he didn't create robots. He created individuals who were intelligent. I didn't, you know, one didn't want to call anybody's name on that one. Uh, <laughs> you know, he created us to be intelligent enough to look at life and to understand it and that the spiritual part of our being, God created that there be a hole in our, in our soul. And he's the only one who can fill that hole. Now, people try all different things to bring satisfaction to their life, but it never fills the gap. John 1, at the beginning... God expressed himself. This is a, another translation. God expressed himself. That personal expression, that word was with God and was God, and he existed with God from the beginning. So God doesn't start out identifying or explaining himself. He just says, I am. Take it or leave it. <laughs> there is no one else beside me. God is. And 2 Timothy 3.16 moves us into this understanding that the Word became flesh, Jesus, and that, that he is the living Word. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you, my Word, it, it, it shall, shall, you know, it, it is the foundational principle, foundational, foundation stone upon which we stand. 2 Timothy 3.16, going back to the understanding of the Word, all scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. That's what it literally means. Inspired, God breathed. Inspired, uh, the definition, Webster's, and this is talking about spiritually inspired. The supernatural influence of the Spirit of God on human mind by which prophets and apostles and sacred writers were qualified to set forth divine truth without any mixture of error. That's pretty good by Webster. So it is the Spirit of God 
on the human mind. So when we think about inspired, most of, the, most of us, I think most of us have been inspired, okay? Now, some have been inspired spiritually and some have been inspired not so spiritually, okay? So this inspiration that we have in our own natural sense is a mental stimulation, more a physical stimulation, uh, to feel something or to do something, that inspiration. You know, I think I'll clean the garage. That's not a divine spiritual inspiration. That's my wife speaking in the back of my mind. <laughs> you know, uh, that's not divine, that's, that's human. So we've all been inspired, you know. Either clean up your room or else. <laughs> you know, those types of inspirations. Well, those are not divine. <laughs> um, we would call that a natural inspiration. The writings and theories of individuals like Plato and Socrates and Shakespeare, I mean, these are geniuses of literature, but they are dead in the sense they are empty of divine truth. They cannot lead us to God. They are great writers, great inspired writers, and, you know, you know on Golden Pond. I mean, you know, uh, the road less traveled. You know, those types of things. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they leave you in these thoughts, but they don't give us the road to God. So, the scriptures are the illumination of God. And we don't use the word illumination. Often it's not in a vocabulary, but we think of illumination in a sense of inspiration, okay? But we'll use in illumination. Matthew chapter 16, verse 7. And Jesus answered and said unto him, this is Jesus talking to Peter. When Peter had, you know, Jesus had asked the disciples, whom do men say that I am? Well, they start saying, well, you were a prophet Elijah and things like that. Then Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are, you are God. And Jesus answered, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. That's divine insight. You see, whenever we, whenever we confess our sins and God washes us of our sins, we feel a cleansing. There's a cleansing going on whether we feel it or not but there's a divine insight that I'm forgiven. That doesn't come by indoctrination. It comes by the Holy Spirit. And so when we're reading the scriptures, there is an inspiration, a divine inspiration. It helps us read the word and make that application because we believe that the Bible is infallible. It's God-breathed. Now, 1 John 2.20 But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. That anointing that is spoken of here is that divine inspiration, that divine insight. The Holy Spirit anoints us, each of us. And we are anointed for a divine purpose. And that is for understanding the scripture and, and making application of that scripture to our life. And so that's why the scripture becomes the, the, the rock upon which we stand. It illuminates to us who Jesus is, why he has come, that the purpose of his coming, and because he lives, I shall live also. 
so that my belief and understanding that Jesus rose from the dead on we celebrate Easter Sunday is my understanding that when I die, I don't die. I just, I go to heaven. My body stays here and for a while and may decay, but when the trump of God sounds, God will bring it back together and I'll have a new body. And the body and the soul will be reunited. Because he lives, I shall live. Forgiveness is where we have that understanding. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is inspired by God. <laughs> it's an inspiration. God breathed. It fr- comes from God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, doesn't mean dictation, but there are sometimes there are dictations in the scriptures, <laughs> the Ten Commandments. You know, God's divine wish list. <laughs> no, it's his Ten Commandments. And that we also have uh, the, the Lord's Prayer. These, you know, so the authors were not CD recorders. You know, God spoke to them, they recorded it, then they went and wrote it down. No. It is the divine and human cooperation in producing an inspired message. A divine and human cooperation. That's our life. It's a human and a divine cooperation. Divinely inspired thought would naturally be expressed in divinely inspired words. So, are there, are there, and to kind of move this along, are there recorded in scriptures, in the scriptures, things that were not divinely inspired? And the answer is yes. Because God did not inspire Satan to question him. Satan did that on his own. So it is a divine recording of what Satan did, but God did not inspire him. So it is, there is a divine, um, um, a divine ins- inspiration in recording this, but he, the, Satan was not divinely inspired. You know, some people would have that one. So um, as, we, as we conclude, <laughs> I've really jumped through this, um, but as we look at the scriptures, the Holy Bible, the scriptures, are divinely inspired. Now, did they lose something in the translations? Well, many have tried to say that it, you know, we lost it in, you know, the Old Testament and so on. But when you go back to the original manuscripts that they now have in, in Israel and the Dead Sea Scrolls and, you know, all those types of things, that the documentation and the translations from the original Hebrew and, and, uh, and the New Testament and Aramaic to English... All that we have of our way back writings pretty much match word for word. And so God in his divine providence has inspired this and preserved it. So we have a message from God and it's through the scriptures that we understand it. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand what the, what the Spirit is saying to us through the scriptures. So we have the divine inspiration with the writers to God breathe to write it out. We have the Holy Spirit helping us to read and make application of that word to our life. So we believe all scripture to be divinely inspired 
of divine origin and the inspiration of the Gospels is guaranteed by the promise of Jesus. He said that the Holy Spirit would bring back to the minds of the apostles all the things that he had taught them and that the same Spirit shall lead us into all truth. (laughs) And a little story. A A professor once stopped a student and asked, you don't believe that book, the Bible, do you? And the Christian student who had been attending a Bible class stated, oh yes, I happen to have a personal acquaintance with the author. (laughs) And so it is, we have a personal acquaintance with the author. It's not something we show up for once a week, but it's someone that we encounter every moment of every day. We believe the Bible to be the inspired and only infallible and authoritative word of God. And we believe that as we understand it and speak on it and read it and pray over it, there are some things we're not going to understand in this life or today, but we may understand in a month from now, a year from now. But God is always helping us through the process. If we believe not in what somebody tells us, but in understanding what the scriptures say to us, our spirit and God's spirit come together, and we know that that is true. I may not be able to understand it fully, but I know that it's true, and it's on that principle we believe the scriptures and apply the scriptures to our own life. The word of God is quick and powerful, The translation has it, the word of God is alive and active. The scriptures are alive and active in our hearts, our minds, and our lives. Amen? That's the beginning, what we believe. Jesus, we thank you that it is by your blood that we are saved, that the cross upon which you, you were hung was an instrument of death But God, it was you who willingly submitted yourself to that that torture and that pain that we would never be separated from you. Thank you for the blood that was shed upon the cross that as we confess our sins, it washes us clean by the water of the word and by the blood of Jesus Christ made real to us by God the Holy Spirit. Be with us now, Lord. Guide us in our service to you. Bless your word to our hearts. Bless our families. Bless us, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.